0: not about that we worship America instead of worshiping God. It's not about looking to nationalism or patriotism or even ignoring the fact that America, from slavery to abortion, has had sins. But it's about saying we have a country that was founded by men who believed in God on biblical principles. And throughout human history, people have looked to this country and desired and wished that they could have the freedom that we have this morning. At Edna's funeral, Brother Ronnie talked about how when her and Lisa were in the Middle East working as nurses, that they attended Bible studies, but they had to be hidden. They had to be secret. Because in the Middle East where they were, if they were to discover that you were having a Bible study, you would receive lashes. You would be deported with no second chance. Thank you, Jason. And Ronnie said at the funeral, every American should have the opportunity to attend one of those secret Bible studies at least once so that we would be grateful to God for the freedoms that we have here in America. If you're there in John chapter eight, we'll read just a verse or two here where Jesus mentions freedom. And we'll talk a little bit about the topic of freedom. Then we'll go back and preach some of the text and bring it back up to what Jesus said and hopefully do so efficiently john chapter 8 and for now let's just read verse number 36. the bible says if the son therefore shall make you free ye shall be free indeed yes freedom and liberty is something to thank god for freedom and liberty is a bible principle god desires for mankind to be free as the forefathers said to worship god not the government to not have to receive permission to worship God as they so desired. Perhaps one of the most famous quotes about freedom in all of history is when Patrick Henry stood and said, give me liberty or give me death. The circumstances surrounding this quote are such. It was less than a month before the Revolutionary War began. The presence of British soldiers was already in the American colonies. And Henry was convinced that war was around the corner. He arrived at the Virginia Convention, determined to persuade his fellow delegates to adopt a defensive stance against Great Britain. On March 23rd, they gathered and met at a local church. And he put forward a resolution proposing that Virginia's counties raise militiamen. He said, quote, to secure our inestimable rights and liberties... From those further violations with which they are threatened. The suggestion of forming a militia was not shocking in and of itself. Other colonies at the time had begun to pass similar resolutions. However, many in the audience balked at approving any measure that might be viewed as combative. Word that King George had rejected the Continental Congress's petition for redress of grievances was yet to reach the colonies, and some still held out hope for a peaceful reconciliation with Britain. On that day, after several delegates had spoken on the issue, Patrick Henry rose from his seat in the third pew and took the floor. A Baptist minister who was watching the proceedings would later describe him as having, quote, an unearthly fire burning in his eyes. Henry spoke without notes, and he told the delegates that he was there to speak forth my sentiments freely before launching into an eloquent warning against appeasing the crown, quote, I have but one lamp by which my feet are guided, he said, and that is the lamp of experience. I know of no way of judging of the future but by the past, and judging by the past, I wish to know what there has been in the conduct of the British ministry for the last ten years to justify those hopes with which gentlemen have pleased to solace themselves and the house. Henry then turned his attention to the British troops mobilizing across the colonies. Are fleets and armies necessary to a work of love and reconciliation? He asked. Have we shown ourselves so unwilling to be reconciled that force must be called in to win back our love? Has Great Britain any enemy in this quarter of the world to call for all this accumulation of navies and armies? No, sir, she has none. They are meant for us. They can be meant for no other. As he continued speaking, Henry's tones began to darken with anger. Quote, Excitement began to play more upon his features, the Baptist minister would later say. The tendons of his neck stood out white and rigid like whip cords. Patrick Henry continues, our petitions have been slighted. Our remonstrances have produced additional violence and insult. Our supplications have been disregarded and we have been spurned with contempt from the foot of the throne. We must fight. I repeat it, sir, we must fight. An appeal to arms and to the God of hosts is all that is left us. He stood silent for a moment, letting his defiant words hang in the air. When he finally began speaking again, it was a thunderous bellow that seemed to shake the walls of the building and all within them. His fellow delegates leaned forward in their seats as he reached his crescendo. The war has actually begun, he cried. The next gale that sweeps from the north will bring to our ears the clash of resounding arms. Our brethren are already in the field. Why stand we here idle? What is it that gentlemen wish? What would they have? Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, almighty God. I know not what course others may take, but as for me... Give me liberty or give me death. For several moments after he sat back down, the assembled delegates seemed at a loss for words. One was to later say, no other member was yet adventurous enough to interfere with that voice which had so recently subdued and captivated. Hence the famous quote to this day, give me liberty or give me death. At that point in time, he was able to recognize The government of the British is being abusive towards us, and the only way that we are to secure our liberties is if we fight for them. Freedom meant so much that he was willing to stand up and say, give me liberty or give me death. Those are the choices that we must make. Some quotes about freedom. Thomas Paine said those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigue of supporting it. Peter Marshall said, may we think of freedom not as the right to do as we please, but as the opportunity to do what is right. Ronald Reagan said, freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it to our children in their bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on for them to do the same. A couple of quotes that could apply to our day and age. Frederick August von Hayek said this, Emergencies have always been the pretext on which the safeguards of individual liberties have been eroded. Dwight Eisenhower said this, If you want total security, then go to prison. In there you're fed, clothed, given medical care, and so on. The only thing that is lacking you is freedom. And Thomas Jefferson said, We hold these truths to be self evident that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Yes, America was founded with the ideal of freedom that we should be free to worship God and live our lives as we would choose, not to be enslaved, and that security itself was not worth trading away our freedoms. And our liberties you've heard of the famous Boston Tea Party where a group of Americans disguised as Indians s- snuck onto the ships and they took 342 chests of tea the group was called the Sons of Liberty and they threw it into the water because they said we're protesting taxation without representation that's tyranny you can't tax us without giving us a say and what is going on in our lives And they threw the tea into the water and America invented coffee. Well, maybe not, but that's what we drink. I like it better than tea anyway. God made us to be free. As we speak about freedom and even about Independence Day itself, it's important to remember that the men who signed the Declaration of Independence and wrote the Constitution, many of them, for the most part, believed in God. Many were Christians, and even Thomas Jefferson's ones who we would call a deist were probably more conservative in their thinking and biblical than a lot of Christians today. But they did believe in government because the Bible teaches that God has ordained government. 1 Peter 2.13, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For this is the will of God for so is the will of God. You see, God ordained government. And the men who participated in the American Revolution, I believe it was different because they understood the biblical teaching of government and they understood the seriousness and the cost of what would happen if they went down that road. But they said, we believe that the right to govern begins with the consent of the governed. We believe we have a right to throw off tyranny and to worship God and provide for our own future safety and freedoms when the government has become abusive. But it was different. Look at France and their history. Look at how many revolutions they had where a bunch of people who were dissatisfied with life would have a revolution and overthrow the government. And that one wouldn't last very long. And then there'd be another one and another one. And they would form governments all the time simply because they were being rebellious. But the people who wrote the Constitution and the Declaration believed in the Bible, and they believed in the role of government, thus they wrote a constitution that would honor the role of government as First Peter 2 teaches. So the Bible teaches that we should obey government because they are ordained by God. But the Bible also contains a couple of examples that teach us that when the government compels us to disobey God and a choice is to be made, that then we are to stand up for our liberty and we are to obey God, not man. In Acts chapter 5, verse 27 through 29, the disciples had been preaching Jesus for salvation. It says, "...and when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach in his name?" And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. They went to the disciples and said, not you're forbidden to preach or to do anything, but rather you're forbidden to preach in the name of Jesus Christ. If it's a generic God, you pray to. If it doesn't offend anyone, if it's not specific, then it's okay. But in the name of Jesus, you're not allowed to preach. Verse 29, Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than man. In the book of Exodus, the Hebrews were taken slaves by the Egyptians. And Pharaoh recognized and realized that the Israelites have a lot of kids and they're multiplying their population. And before long, they're going to be stronger than we are and they'll be able to overrun us. And he said, I make a command to all of the Hebrew midwives that whenever a male child is born, you're commanded to throw it in the river until they drowned. You say, well, that was government. That was their authority. Were they required to obey that? The text indicates, no, they disobeyed, and God was pleased with that they began to sneak the babies away. And when they came and said, what's going on? They said, these Hebrew women be lively and they be delivered before we can even know what's going on. They're popping the kids out and hiding them and we don't know what's going on. And the text says, God remembered the midwives and built houses for them, not physical earthly ones But heavenly ones, God saw their act of faith and He was pleased that they disobeyed an evil command from the King. So many around the earth have looked and longed for freedom that we have this morning. I say we should be grateful I say we should stand up for it. I say we should praise God that the biblical concept of liberty and the ability to do what's right and worship God belongs to us at this moment in time. John chapter 8, let's move to the text. We're going to preach through this story and then leading up to when Jesus was talking about freedom and what he was really talking about and the freedom that matters the most. In the first 11 verses of this chapter, it's the story of the woman taken in adultery and how Jesus showed her great mercy. Then we'll pick it up in verse number 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said unto him, Thou bearest record of thyself. This record is not true. Point number one from the text, the Father is a witness with Christ. The Father is a witness with Christ. They said to Jesus, you're claiming to be the light of the world. You're claiming to be the only way to heaven and the only way to escape eternal darkness. But you're simply testifying of yourself. Therefore, your witness is not true. In a couple of verses, Jesus himself mentions what they were talking about. The Old Testament law of the Jews said that by the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every matter be established. Christ goes on to point out that he has the witness of the Father by two or by three. Jesus and the Father established it, and by Jesus the Father and the Holy Spirit it is established. Whatever they say, it is true. Look at his answer in verse number 14. Jesus answered and said unto them, Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true, for I know whence I came and whither I go. But ye cannot tell whence I come and whether I go. They don't know that he came from the Father and that he will return to heaven and the Father. Verse 15, ye judge after the flesh. I judge no man. The Pharisees' judgment in this instance was according to their flesh. It was human reason. It was false judgment. It was unfair. Jesus makes the statement, I judge no man, which at first thought is curious because at another point, Jesus said that judgment is given to the Son. And we know that in the end times, he will come in the word of his mouth, Shall judge the world for their sins and win the victory. But what I believe Jesus is saying is that at this point in time, He is choosing not to exact judgment and justice. Don't ever pray for an enemy of yours that they would get what they deserve. Don't ever say, Well, I want to get what I deserve. Because if any one of us who are sinners got what we deserved, it would be the lake of fire for all eternity. For all of us have sinned. All of us are separated from God. And even our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in the eyes of God. But Jesus is saying at this point in time, I'm not judging any man. I'm here to die for your sins. The part where I judge you all, that will come later. Verse 16, And yet if I judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I and the Father that sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one that bear witness of myself, and the Father that sent me beareth witness of me. What witness do we have? that Jesus is the only way to true freedom from our sins and eternal punishment. Jesus said, I'm not making these claims all by myself, but the Father makes them with me. Philip came and said to Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus said, Philip, have you been with me so long that you don't know? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father, for I and my Father are one. Jesus prayed to the Father and said, Father, glorify me with the glory that I shared with you before the world ever was. You see, Jesus took on human flesh when he was born in the manger, but that is not when Jesus began to exist. He was pre-existent, co-equal with the Father and the Holy Spirit, God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, three separate beings, yet one God existed before anything else ever existed. Thus John 1 says of Jesus Christ himself, nothing was made that was not made by him. He spoke it into existence and even in the book of Genesis, which the Jews have, you will read the text says, and God said, let us make man in our image because it was the father, the son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, no, I'm not making this claim in and of myself that I'm the only true way to freedom for the father witnesses also. Verse 19, Then said they unto him, Where is thy father? Jesus answered, Ye neither know me nor my father. If ye had known me, ye should have known my father also. Those who follow the Muslim faith will say, Well, we worship the same God that you worship. The name Allah is simply an Arabic term for God. The word may simply mean God, but it is not the same God to which they pray. The Quran says Allah had no Son. But the Bible says the only begotten of the Father is Jesus Christ, full of grace and full of truth. And He is equal to the Father. He is God. The Bible says if you reject Jesus, you have rejected the Father. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's what the Bible says. That's what the text we'll see bears out this morning. Jesus said there's no other way to have freedom over sin and escape punishment except to believe in His name. I don't believe it's hateful. I don't believe it's prejudicial. I don't hate anyone. I love everybody, but the Bible tells me that I must share with them Jesus is God and He is the only way. 1 John 2 and 22. Who is a liar but he that denieth Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. You cannot make a claim to God the Father while claiming to reject Jesus Christ. Number one, the Father is a witness with Christ. Number two, to follow Christ, we must not die in our sins. What I'm speaking about, we'll see from these verses, is not simply to follow Him as a disciple, but to follow Him into the kingdom of heaven, we must not die in our sins. For if we die in our sins, we will not follow Him to heaven, but we will be separated from God in eternal punishment. Let's continue on. John chapter 8 and verse number 20. These words spake Jesus in the treasury as He taught in the temple. And no man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. In the end of this chapter, they finally say, That's it, you're a heretic, we're going to put you to death. But he escapes out the middle of the crowd, and they're confused and slips out the door. And this verse says, His hour was not yet come. They did not kill him without his permission. When it was right in the providence and time of God, when his hour did come, he laid down his life and gave himself to die for our sins. But he said unto them, you have no power over me unless I gave it to you. If I desired, I could snap my fingers. And in a moment, the father would send 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set me free right now. He laid down his life for our sins. He said, my hour is not yet come. So they were not able to take him yet. Verse 21. Then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way and ye shall seek me and shall die in your sins. Whither I go, ye cannot come. Notice what he said in verse 21. He had told them earlier, you don't know where I came from and you don't know where I'm going. He's talking about heaven. He's talking about the presence of the Father. And he's able to look at these Jews, Pharisees in his foreknowledge and know they will not accept him. They will reject him. He says, I'm going to go my way. Ye shall seek me. But you're going to die in your sins. And because you will die in your sins, whether I go, you cannot come. In other words, you cannot follow me if you die in your sins. He's talking about heaven. He's talking about going to the Father. And he says, if you die in your sins, you cannot come where he is going. The pastor preaches testimony on Father's Day and told how the woman who witnessed to him told him, he said, well, you mean if I don't get saved, if I don't get born again, I can't go to heaven? She said, what does it say? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Without the new birth, without receiving Christ as Savior, we will be condemned to the lake of fire for all of eternity. This is what Christ would call in hard saying. But Jesus taught the doctrine of hell. He spoke of it as a literal place of fire where those who do not know Christ as Savior, those who have not turned to Him in repentance and faith and trusted His work on the cross, will be sent someday. And let me tell you this, as the message is on the topic of freedom this morning, There is no freedom in hell. That's the ultimate lack of freedom is to be condemned for all of eternity to a place where we will be trapped and cannot get out. One woman took her own life and in her suicide note she left and she was ranting about many different things and she said, God won't tell me what to do unless she repented. If she died in her sins, she will have no freedom to not be told what to do for all of eternity. No freedom in hell. Verse 22, look how clear these verses are about Jesus being the only way to heaven. Verse 22, then said the Jews, Will he kill himself? Because he saith, Whither I go, ye cannot come. Verse 23, and he said unto them, Ye are from beneath, I am from above, ye are of this world, I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am he... Ye shall die in your sins. It can't get any more clear in the Word of God. Only one name whereby we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus Christ. John chapter 3 says, If we believe on the Son, we have eternal life. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed on the name of Jesus Christ. It's not enough to make a prayer and to just pray to God. I believe when we pray, we should do what Jesus taught us. Pray in Jesus name and at the national prayer breakfast one year if i'm not messing up my stories i think it was waltrip the nascar driver was invited to speak and the dalai lama was there and people of other faiths were there but he got up and told his testimony and he said i'm simply here to tell you the bible itself says that jesus is the only way to heaven May we never be afraid to pray in Jesus' name. May we never be afraid when we have the opportunity to speak and to say, I love everyone, but I cannot change the truth. Jesus is God and there is none other. Let's continue on here, verse number 25. Then said they unto Jesus, Who art thou? And Jesus saith unto them, Even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true. And I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. They understood not that he spake to them of the Father. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. The phrase there, lifted up, was a term used in those days for the crucifixion. And Jesus said, when you have crucified me, then will you know that I am of the Father. The Gospels tell us that as Jesus hung on the cross, there was an eclipse and the sun did not shine for about six hours. It was darkness in the land in the middle of the daytime, even though it was noon and up to, I don't have it in front of me, but three in the afternoon or whatever time it was when he died. There, Thus the lyrics from the song at the cross, it says, Well might the sun in darkness hide and shut his glories in when Christ the mighty maker died for man the creature sent. But the Bible tells us when Jesus said it is finished and He gave up the ghost again willingly surrendering to death for us the sun came back out and began to shine the veil of the temple was rent in twain signifying that no longer would a priest have to go to God for us but all of us can go directly to God there was a great earthquake and many of the saints in Jerusalem rose from the grave and the soldiers said surely this man was what he claimed to be not only that But three days and three nights later, the people who had been set to watch and guard his grave came, and they said, the angels came in the night, and he's not there anymore. He walked out. Jesus said, after I'm lifted up, then you'll know I am the Christ. And many of those who knew still rejected him. Verse 29, And he that sent me is with me, The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. And as he spake these words, many believed on him. This is the record of all of the Bible. It says in the end of the book of Acts that Paul had a hired house for a couple years and he met whoever came in and out and he disputed and he debated and he witnessed and he preached. And it says, and some believed and some believe not. The Bible actually tells us most people won't believe. Most people in their sin will turn down Christ Remember, he said, narrow is the way that is true, straight is the gate, few there be that find it, but broad is the way to destruction, and many there be that walk down it. But don't get discouraged as we preach the word, as we give the gospel, as we live for Christ. Some will believe. Some are out there who, if they hear of the plan of salvation and someone cares enough to tell them about it, they will believe in Jesus. One out of a hundred, one out of a thousand, one out of a million is worth preaching the truth till the one comes that says, Yes, I want Jesus Christ. Verse 31, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. He spake to those which were believing on them, and he says, Now what you're supposed to do is continue in my word and ye shall be my disciples indeed. The word "their disciples, means learner or pupil. So they were already believing in Jesus Christ. And he says to the new Christians, if you really want to be a student of me, continue in my word. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. What is the truth he's talking about? What is the truth that they will learn that will make them free? It's the word of God. Verse 33, they answered him. Now, I want to point out that they here is not the new believers who he was just speaking to in the previous verse, but all throughout the chapter, verse 13, 19, 22, 27, 33, 39, 48, 52, and 59, it says, and they, and they, and they, speaking of the Jews which rejected him. So he's now speaking to some of the new believers and says, continue in my word, and then you'll know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Then they, the other Jews standing by, who rejected him, answered him. Verse 33, We be Abraham's seed, and we're never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Wow. They said, We have no need of Christ. We have no need of being set free. We're Abraham's seed. We're the Jews. We have freedom. The church in Revelation chapter 3, whom Jesus was rebuking, He said, Thou sayest. I am increased with goods, I'm clothed, I'm full, I have need of nothing. But Christ said, Thou knowest not that thou art miserable, poor, blind, and naked. He said spiritually before God, you have none of those good things which you are rejoicing in physically, and you are in dire need of repentance before God. And these Pharisees who were rejecting Christ, the group of people who just a moment ago Jesus said, You are going to die in your sins and not be able to go to heaven where I am. They said, we were never in bondage, what do we need to be made free of? Jesus said, verse 34, Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. They thought that they were not in bondage, but they were in bondage to sin, and they were lost without Jesus Christ. Proverbs five twenty two: His own iniquities shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sins. That verse gives the word picture that sin is like chains and it's like bonds and it's like cords. And the deeper you get into sin, your own sins will enslave you and you won't be able to get out. Jesus was trying to tell them, you are the servant of sin. You do need to be made free. You do need the word of God. You do need the son to set you free from your sin that you may be free indeed. Verse 35. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the Son abideth ever. If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. What was he saying when he talked about if Jesus makes you free, that's true freedom? He was saying you are enslaved to your sins, you're the servant of sin. And the servant doesn't get to abide in the house forever, speaking of heaven, but the Son does. But if the Son makes you free... From your sins, then ye shall be free indeed. Number three, true freedom comes only from Jesus Christ. I'm thankful to have freedoms as an American. I'm thankful to be able to appeal and look to the laws. And if someone abuses my liberties, I could file a lawsuit and I could stand up for myself. And I'm grateful to have the liberty that we have this morning. But most of all, I'm grateful that Jesus Christ is my Savior. I'm thankful that according to the promises of the eternal word of God, either I'm going to heaven forever, my soul is secure, or else God himself is a liar. And I don't believe he's a liar, not for one moment. True freedom is not freedom to live out our lives and do what we want, but it's to be set free from our sins and to do what we should. What a privilege it is. To know Jesus Christ is to be free from hell, from the penalty of sin. And there is victory in Jesus Christ. Over sin, over addiction, and over condemnation to the lake of fire, there is victory in the name of Christ. He can set us free from all of it. Some people would say, well, freedom is maybe the ability to do what I want. One young man said, I'm tired of everybody telling me what to do all the time. I'm going to run away and join the army. (laughs) Those of you with experience would know that's not exactly the way that works out. 2 Peter 2.19 says this of false prophets, and I'm finishing up here this morning. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same as he brought in bondage. It says "Their false prophets will say, We'll promise you liberty, you can be free. But they are servants of corruption. And if you believe their lies, you will be overcome in bondage. Running into sin and saying, I'm free to do whatever I want. I'm going to live how I want. That's not freedom. Sin destroys us. Sin enslaves us. That's what happened to Samson when he continued on in sins of the flesh and would not repent, and the strongest man in all of Israel ended up grinding meal at the the wheelhouse while the Philistines mocked him and plucked out his eyes. Absalom was taken in the sin of pride and was caught in a tree and stabbed with a dagger. That was his end. Have you ever passed by, taking a walk in your neighborhood, and maybe there's a fence, and there's the smallest dog you could possibly imagine—some Chihuahua or some little dog—that if you weren't looking and stepped on it, it would be the end for that dog. But what does it do? It barks up a storm. It thinks it can fight anything, and it fights at the fence and claws, and it's angry. And boy, if I just got out of this fence, I could kill that pit bull or whatever it is that's out there. What would happen if he did make it outside the fence? He'd be destroyed. My parents had a German shepherd dog one time who was good at escaping, and one time he escaped, and accidentally a car in the alleyway hit him, and he had a little fracture in his leg, and he recovered from it. But ever since that time, whenever the gate was open, he'd look at that gate, and he'd start to whimper, and he'd start to back up, and he'd run away. And you see, sometimes we may think the ability to live our life, if we were to say, I don't care what the Bible says, there's too much pressure, I want to live like the other people are living around me, I don't want the rules anymore, I don't want that fence. Our freedom would not really be freedom. It leads to destruction. One more application, Galatians 4, 9. People who had come to the knowledge of Christ, but then people were trying to enslave them back into legalism and the keeping of Old Testament law and trusting in that for righteousness. Paul said, But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage. Legalism and work salvation is not freedom, Paul said, it is bondage. Embrace the liberty that you have in Jesus Christ. Grace of God gives us freedom. Grace of God gives us freedom to decide how we want to live. He's not made us robots and if we are headlong on going our own way, he will let us go that way. But the freedom that we have been given is not a right to do whatever we want, but rather it's a responsibility to choose to do what we should. If Christ does not give you liberty, you will be given death. I'm free to choose this morning and so are you. May we choose, first of all, to receive Christ as Savior, but secondly, choose to do what is right. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the freedom you have given us through your Son. Thank you that we have the ability to meet here this morning and not be in fear that people will come and drag us away. Those videos have been on the news just recently in China, but also in Canada. People arrested simply for coming to the house of God. Thank you that we have the ability to live in this country. Thank you on this 4th of July that you've given us an opportunity to use our freedoms, to do what is right, to spread the gospel. Lord, if anyone here today does not know you as Savior, I pray that they would before they leave. I pray that no one would leave here not knowing you as savior that no one would leave here being lost in their sins but they would they would call upon you today and receive you as savior. If anyone needs to talk about the gospel Please see me or see someone here this morning. We can help you, but in simple prayer, repentance, and faith, you can trust Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. Call upon him and ask him to save your soul, trusting not in your good works, but only in his death and righteousness. And he has promised he will not turn you away. The music will play. Let's have a time of prayer.